Hi, this is Felicia. You're listening to Studio FM, and today we'll be talking about cancel culture. I wanted to start a series within the podcast called Conscious Conversations dedicated specifically to talking about sociopolitical issues. But in these discussions, I'll be trying to bring more of a conscious instead of a polarizing lens. So I'll be attempting to normalize viewing people as people instead of political abstractions, forming nuanced opinions that appreciate the complex nature of our society, And most importantly, and this is why I wanted to start off talking about cancel culture, I really want to normalize the free expression of thoughts and ideas despite the potential for messiness and or misunderstanding. So that'll be the tone of this conversation today. I try to be fair in what I'm saying, but I I do have the stance that cancel culture may not be as productive as many think that it is. And instead of giving like a long drawn out summary of what I'd like to say, I'll just jump into the episode. I ask that you try to keep an open mind and I hope you enjoy. So today I want to have a conscious conversation about cancel culture. I'm going to be reading a piece that I wrote called My Thoughts on Cancel Culture as a Insert Oppressed Identity. And you can also actually read my writing on my blog, The Anthology, at FeliciaFaulkner.com. So I guess let's get started. As long as original thought exists, I believe there will always be differing and conflicting opinions about what is true and what is socially acceptable. But I actually think that's a good thing. When we challenge each other's perceptions and engage in meaningful conversations that test the validity of our beliefs, we grow as a society as we edge closer to the truth and continue to evolve. There's a concept called the marketplace of ideas that encourages society to fight bad ideas with better ideas, as opposed to punishing bad ideas with censorship. It advocates for free speech, using the logic that truth can only be found through the process of discussion, where we freely and openly exchange ideas, listen, ask questions, challenge assumptions, and commonly held understandings. I don't think that the truth is something that can be quickly and easily ascertained. It's usually riddled with nuance and complexity. I found that even in personal matters, the truth is usually messy and chaotic. So uncovering the truth requires honest communication, critical thought, skepticism, the suspension of judgment, and compassion, all of which I find to be lacking in cancel culture. If I had to define cancel culture, I would describe it as the practice of creating or participating in a public campaign to shun or shame someone after they've committed a real or perceived moral wrong. The purpose is to punish those with wrong ideas or ideas that don't align ideologically with the dominant public narrative. It's a form of retributive social justice to keep people in line and send the message that words have consequences. If I'm being honest, I think it's unreasonable to have the expectation that no one should be able to respond or dissent to something said publicly. I think that people should be corrected when they say something wrong or share a bad idea that causes harm. But that is not the issue here. (laughs) The issue with cancel culture is the culture itself. To put it bluntly, I think that cancel culture is an unproductive and intellectually lazy way of dealing with complex social issues while creating a culture of fear and a chilling effect on free expression. This podcast is brought to you by the studio. Conscious conversations are only possible with conscious individuals. Visit FeliciaFaulkner.com for yoga classes designed to bring mindfulness to the masses. Anyways, back to my thoughts. Section one, no justice, no peace. Cancel culture as I see it is simply a manifestation of our other misguided social norms, namely our perception of justice, 
our short attention spans, and our obsession with accountability over personal responsibility. As I mentioned, I view cancel culture as a form of retributive social justice, but with no trial. The type of justice it seeks to deliver is, in my view, an ugly extension of our current justice system that prioritizes punishment over rehabilitation and reinforces the idea that the best way to deal with a troublemaker is to exile them from society and banish them to a life of misery in jail. Our system is driven less by the desire to heal the harm that's been done and focuses more on the sentiment that people should get what's coming for them. An eye for an eye. It's retribution, not restoration. Although with traditional justice, we have a set of codified laws that allow for due process. Even if it's not perfect, which it's not perfect, we generally know what laws we're expected to follow and what consequences we'll face if we break those laws. Cancel culture is complicated by the fact that there are no rules. The only guidance is abstract moral standards of conduct that are constantly subject to change. The most recent example that comes to mind is hashtag Blackout Tuesday in 2020, where people were encouraged to post black squares on Instagram as a show of solidarity against racism, only for us to see the very next day those same people who shared black squares be called out as lazy, misguided allies, or hands of white supremacy intentionally seeking to derail a movement. For me, it was all very confusing, <laughs> which I find tends to be the trend. In cancel culture, there are no rules, everything changes on a whim, and it's impossible to know moment to moment what will or will not be considered acceptable. This is frightening because there is no trial, there is only punishment and not knowing the rules isn't an excuse for not following them. It's an odd social landscape. You could post something well-intentioned but slightly misguided online and end up losing your job and fearing for your safety. Even stranger is that the political leanings of the main proponents of cancel culture would have you believe that they support the notion that we're in dire need of justice reform, which I actually agree with. People tend to be very vocal about the need for more appropriate sentencing, rehabilitation instead of punishment, and treating people as people rather than criminals or a dollar sign in a private prison. But I've noticed that it's very easy to spout off theoretical solutions without embodying them in your everyday life. There's often a huge gap between theory and practice. It's the same people who take joy in mass public shaming who believe that they should be entrusted to create a less punitive and more compassionate justice system. Yet they lack the foresight to see that they're creating a less formal version of the very system they seek to destroy. In my eyes, what they're creating has a potential to become worse as it lacks any due process and is instead ruled by the whims of emotion. If something makes them upset, feel offended or triggered, that is enough to begin a campaign to ruin someone's life regardless of the intent or possibility for misunderstanding behind the original post. Of course, there's nothing wrong with someone deciding that they want to withdraw support from a person or a company, but cancel culture goes beyond personal choice and actually actively pressures others to join in at the risk of being canceled themselves. Silence is frequently conflated with guilt or endorsement, so to say nothing means running the risk of being marked as an oppressor yourself. I suspect that this might influence people to speak out against things that they may not even fully understand and 
engage in performative allyship simply to prove that they're good people who deserve to keep their jobs. Though I will admit, there are times when people say or do things that I find so reprehensible that I would honestly be shocked and maybe disappointed if there wasn't some kind of public outrage. And after all, I do endorse the marketplace of ideas. Fighting bad ideas with better ideas requires us to be vocal and to be vocal publicly in order to have those ideas heard. I don't think that it's sensible or helpful to sit back when bad things are happening. After all, here I am publicly voicing my opinion because I feel like we as a collective are doing some dumb shit and someone should probably say something. <laughs> I don't think the act of speaking out is an evil in and of itself. Like I said, I think it's actually a very necessary good, but what bothers me, what bothers me the most about cancel culture is that it creates an environment of fear instead of correction. It's a lazy way for people to signal that they're virtuous and good by verbally assaulting strangers online just because someone told them to. Because of our shortened attention spans, I found that people don't always read carefully and think critically when consuming the news or other media. Instead, we rely on clickbait headlines and Instagram infographics titled, all you need to know about X to get our information. Someone will read an emotional headline, then feel moved to follow a call to action to show up on someone's virtual doorstep to tell them what an awful person they are. While I do think that maybe some people do just, I don't know, like to be in the midst of conflict, I know that there are many others who genuinely believe that they're helping to change society for the better, and they maybe haven't stopped to consider that perhaps they're being lied to or manipulated. And I know that because I was one of the latter. Section two, trust no bitch. There was a moment in 2019 when I realized that I was being manipulated by the media and it was certainly a dark time of reckoning. I remember hearing about Jordan Peterson for the first time in university while he was caught up in the middle of a controversy for being what people from my generation might label a transphobic piece of shit. Admittedly, I completely wrote him off and refused to engage with him or his ideas. After graduating, I was doing some freelance video editing and one of my clients was talking favorably about Jordan Peterson in a video. I had a hard time reconciling my view of her with my view of Jordan Peterson. So I became curious and decided to search his name on YouTube and watch a video. That turned into me binging every single Jordan Peterson video, interview, and lecture that I could find. Once I actually took the time to properly look into him myself, I discovered that he'd been grossly misrepresented by the media. It honestly felt like I'd been a part of an intentionally malicious game of broken telephone, where the news took the story of a man standing up to the Kenyan government warped it into a story that would make the public hate him, then began spreading it to discredit him. And it worked. Well, at least it worked for me and a lot of my peers. I thought it was unfortunate because of how valuable his ideas were and how kind of a person he was. I really started to wonder how many other cases there were like Dr. Peterson and how many I'd been a part of without even knowing it. So as time went on, I began to consume media a lot more critically and I realized that <laughs> this was happening a lot. Like it was happening a lot. People's actions were often being decontextualized and misrepresented 
A story would surface, spark outrage, only for me to begin doing my own research and realize that important parts were being downplayed, omitted, or reworked to make things seem more cut and dry than they really were. The edited version of the story inevitably always fed the flames of division, but that always seemed to be the version of the story that people wanted to buy into. And asking questions or seeking clarification always seemed to spark rage and disgust in the public, so I kind of made a habit of not really saying much. I became scared into silence because I wasn't sure how to navigate these conversations without fucking around and getting cancelled myself. It's difficult to have a conversation full of nuance and color with someone who is only willing to see things in black and white. And I found that once people have tied themselves to a certain version of events, it's difficult to get them to see beyond that, especially when the narrative evokes a strong emotion or works to prove a narrative that fits their already established worldview. So at this point, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really trust the news and am highly skeptical whenever I consume it. I found that it's common for both the media and individuals to leave out details and facts that would complicate their version of the truth. And I sometimes ask myself the question, is it the media's fault for manipulating the news or is it the people's fault for being lazy and uncritical in their consumption of media? Perhaps both. It's definitely both. Section three, my opinion as a insert one of my oppressed identities. People want things to be simple and easy, but what happens when we get lazy and uncritical in our consumption of information? What happens when we reject nuance for the sake of making things seem simple and straightforward? I think what happens is that we begin to contend with caricatures of complex issues instead of the issues themselves. We're then not really solving anything and are instead just being asked to stop thinking and pick a side. But the truth doesn't have a side. The truth is always in the nuance, and I've learned to be wary of anyone who suggests that others are being harmful by being curious or skeptical about simplistic recounts of complex problems. The first few times that I publicly mentioned my thoughts on Jordan Peterson, there were people who had very, very strong opinions about why I shouldn't listen to or promote him. They would tell me about how dangerous and oppressive he was, and obviously now, like knowing the full story, when I would press them to explain why, they couldn't. The conversation would ultimately lead to them revealing that they never actually listened to him and didn't know the full story. And I'm not joking when I say that this happened literally every single time. And it's not that I'm necessarily judging them for that because I had been there too. But I think that this is a big problem in our culture. Namely that many people literally do not know what they're talking about. Some people have strong opinions about things and people that they don't fully understand and it's difficult to discern who is speaking from knowledge and who's simply parroting opinions and repeating what they think they're supposed to say. People are so preoccupied with holding others accountable that they often neglect to hold themselves to any reasonable standard of conduct. It's easy to excuse yourself for not knowing all the facts when You've come to believe that your voice is a necessary part of some noble struggle. It's easy to absolve yourself of any responsibility of being properly educated when you're told that simply sharing a post or repeating a catchphrase is making a difference. I've noted that people often don't even feel responsible for keeping their own emotions in check so that they can think clearly. And I've seen that lead to all sorts of mess and misunderstanding. 
And to be clear, because I know that I may be accused of tone policing, I think that it's perfectly reasonable to validate how someone is feeling while still choosing not to enable how they're acting as a result of that feeling. Just because you're triggered doesn't mean that you're right. And just because you're offended doesn't mean that your feelings should be allowed to trump reality or the emotions of everyone around you. As the saying goes, hurt people hurt people. And I've noticed that a lot of people have the attitude that because they feel wronged by society, they shouldn't be held responsible for how they interact with others. The general sentiment seems to be, if society has had no regard for my emotions, then why should I have any regard for yours? And I think that this is creating a culture where we've begun to normalize treating people as emotional punching bags to release our trauma onto anyone who represents or reminds us of the pain that we've endured at the hands of society. In conversation, people are often responding to someone's identity instead of the person's thoughts and opinions. We see people as political abstractions instead of people, and I find this both sad and terrifying. Section four, complexity and fantasy. This isn't an attempt to drag anyone or any particular group of people. I don't want this to become a spectacle where people miss the point and collapse the nuance of my opinions to simplify them into something that's more digestible just so they can like throw it in someone's face and say, see, I'm right, you're wrong. And anyone who feels the need to do that hasn't understood what I've been trying to say. We are all imperfect. We've all been right and we've all been wrong. I don't think that anyone reading or listening to this can claim that they've never seen or done something offensive or harmful. So to create a culture with an expectation of perfection where it's unsafe to publicly make mistakes is cruel and unnatural because it denies our very humanity. How can we advance as a society if we're afraid to speak for fear of unrelenting public retaliation? How can we seek truth if we're afraid to ask questions and be clumsy and imperfect in our thoughts and phrasing? How can we create harmony through discord? I, I think that this is a complex issue. Society does have a need for informal mechanisms to maintain social norms and order, but it is still important to be mindful about how we engage with each other so that our pursuit of order doesn't accidentally lead us into chaos. It's a delicate line to walk, but I'm not sure that peace is possible without mutual understanding. And I think that that's what we should be striving for. To close, I would like to quote Itachi Uchiha from Naruto when he says, each of us lives dependent and bound by our individual knowledge and awareness. All that is what we call reality. However, both knowledge and awareness are equivocal. One's reality might be another's illusion. We all live inside our own fantasies. This essay doesn't have a conclusion because the truth is not fixed. And I don't have an answer to this problem. I think that the truth is a secret hidden in a never-ending conversation. And I hope that perhaps my words can be a catalyst to continue to propel us towards finding it. And that's all. Thanks for joining me for this first installment of Conscious Conversations. Again, this episode is brought to you by the studio at FeliciaFaulkner.com. To think more consciously, we have to live more consciously. And the yoga classes on my website are a great tool for more mindful thought and mindful living. So you can check those out at FeliciaFaulkner.com. You can also read my essay, the one that I, I just read, if you'd like to see like a physical manifestation, I guess, of what I just said. 
Um, that can also be found on my website, feliciafalconer.com. If you scroll to the bottom of the homepage, you'll see the anthology, which is my blog or my magazine dedicated to a conscious look at culture and the self. The post associated with this episode is called My Thoughts on Cancel Culture as a Insert Oppressed Identity. In that post, I also define a few of the more, I guess, uncommon terms that I used in this episode. So things like due process, retributive and restorative justice, the marketplace of ideas, tone policing and Naruto. (laughs) Um, So whether you're looking for some relaxing yoga classes or some reading, head to my website, feliciafalconer.com, and I will talk to you in the next episode. Share this with a friend and enjoy the rest of your day.